As always, subscribe and click the notification bell on our YouTube channel. Be active on our Facebook group, East Coast Distressed Note Investing. And be sure to go to our website for all your note investing tools, resources, and available assets. If you have any questions, email us at tradedesk at jkpholdings.com. Hey, everyone. Good afternoon. I'm Dave Putz from JKP Holdings. And as always, alongside Mr. Nathan Turner. How you doing? How you doing? Good, man. It's that wintertime season. Uh, kids are getting sick. It's all that fun stuff. And <laughs> business times. keeps pushing along. Yeah. So you said skiing. Yeah. I saw skiing opened up recently. That's exciting. Skiing opened up. I actually just got back last night. I was in uh, Chicago for a little over 24 hours. Oh, <laughs> hopefully it was... wasn't buying notes over in, in Cook County. It was completing a very long process <laughs> on an eviction on a lady that never had permission to move in in the first place. Oh. Anyway, finally happened yesterday. I did a post on it. Some people are asking some questions, so <laughs> I'll, I'll give more details there. But yeah, it took a long time. And finally, yesterday, we got the we got it right there, the eviction order. Woo! Yeah. Oh, so good that's Lord. Exciting. It's fun times. So we've spent the 2023 year um, away from what we've done for 15 years. In the note space buying it, we've really focused on bank-originated debt. And we made a mission in 2023, our goal, to get a better understanding on this seller finance, but more importantly, the rap note subject to world. And it's blown my mind what we've learned last year. Yeah, it's been nuts. It's I We've been shocked, I think, at how people in the creation part of things don't know that we're around. And I'm, I, got, I guess so I just assumed. Because that's kind of the path that I took was I was creating first and then I started buying notes. So I kind of thought that everybody would know, you know, we're part of the same business, just different yeah. sides of it. So yeah. I figured everybody would know we're here, but they don't. So that's been a huge part of our, our message here this year. And yeah, it's been going well, but I think yeah. we still have work to do. Yeah, absolutely. And will we get into what we're going to be in 2024, but you're absolutely right. We've been on a mission to connect with all these people and what the common theme is, wait, you can sell a note and yeah. it's blown our mind and I'm not negative about it, but it's just amazing that the idea you can sell a note legitimately, this isn't backdoor stuff. This is a le legitimate business of selling a note to a, a, another person. Yeah. It's what assignments and launches were created. Banks been doing this for decades, centuries, right? Yeah. So it's amazing that we we're teaching it, but we're also excited by it because those people who are originating notes in this year, last year, last couple of years, have a gold mine of information and money, right? And what we've tried to do is provide the opportunity to get some of your money out of that deal. Yeah, yeah. Maybe well, some of it, maybe all of it. Yeah, we're more than happy to cash people out of whatever deal they're in so that they can turn around and do it again and just turn it around and around and around. We can do a ton of business together. Yeah. But yeah. we have to know that each other exists. Absolutely. And what we've done too is for note buyers, just FYI, in January, me and Nathan rerunning our, our advanced course, uh, which will help you build the non-performing calculator, which is a huge fee. You need to understand that a financial calculator has its place, yeah. but when it goes non-performing, that financial calculator could be thrown out the window because you no longer have a cash flow coming in. You really have to worry about that. Yeah. Debt licenses, each state, all those kind of things come into play and our advanced course talks about due diligence, building note, the do the non-performing calculator, um, and also how to filter and build your buy box so you can look legitimate in your business. Yes. Yeah, you, you have to know how to do it. There's both sides to this. And just because you bought a performing note does not mean it's going to perform forever. And we're, <laughs> we came up through that world. So we know how that goes. Yeah. And you have to know what to do if and when it does start going non-performing. Yeah, unfortunately, we ran into a lot of people who said, well, we bought performing notes. That's I don't have to worry about the non-performing side. And we shake our head and we appreciate your excitement for it. But every note can default at any moment and it has nothing to do with anyone's control. Someone died, divorce, death, anything, job loss, anything can happen. And unless there's some kind of perfect security that the seller will give you, 
that thing may stop performing, right? Yeah. So what we focus on too is for these people we're bringing on is we just talked about in our quote-unquote green room is, you know, what creates a good note. Um, I'll post into the chat. Uh, we actually, uh, I'll be putting on together, I don't know if Nathan will be part of it or not, but we'll be putting on a, uh, a, a live call to show you guys what it takes to um, sell or create a note that is, has the ability to be sold at the highest dollar. What does us note buyers care about in creating notes? And I think for a lot of people, they don't understand that. And that's okay. That's what we're here to help you learn. So and, and you, you said, I think during Christmas break. Yeah, I'm looking to run it like midday for some people and an evening call for those others. If okay. you are creating notes, this is really for the note creators, not note buyers, right? This would be focused on note creators who want to learn how to create notes that they can sell or create notes that are valuable. Or what does it mean to have a valuable note? Outside the legal side of it, what numbers really come to play? Occupied, not occupied, you know, do we care about seasoning? All those kind of factors. What is seasoning, right? You know, creating a 100% note or maybe you create 80-20 and get all your capital out and hold a second. All those kind of little cool ways of getting the most money for your dollar, for your note, and what not to do, right? We talk about all that often. This will be recorded. This will be on our YouTube channel as well as on our podcast. So if you miss this at all, feel free to go to those two places. And we um, get that question all the time. So, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, what do you, you buy a note for? What makes it a good note? Uh, we get those questions all the time. So that's yes. good. To yes. Well, please, there's a form on the website. Uh, sign up. I'll be notifying everyone when those dates are and working our best. Before we bring our guests, we have one other thing we want to make sure we keep pushing out there. Coming back in early summer, we're all flying down to Nashville. We're having a big party. So Nathan, share a little bit about that for those who haven't heard us before. What's happening at the end of May? We were so pumped. So last this 2023 was the first time that uh, my wife and I put on the DME, Diversified Mortgage Expo, and we had a blast. It was a great conference. Uh, I think it was a good balance of fun and education. Uh, and it was just a, a really great time. Um, we're gearing up, you know, as well as it went, there's always room for improvement. And so we've made a few adjustments, a few tweaks, and uh, we're looking forward to next year already. So it's May 31st, June 1st. Um, actually, tickets are live now. Uh, if you wanted to go get a ticket now and grab it, lock it in, right? Lock it in. You could do that. So now. these are for note buyers and note originators, creative Absolutely. finance people. Everyone in notes should get there. And yeah. one of the biggest things that I was excited about last year when he put it on was there was deals taking place and purchases being made at the conference. Yeah. And that's a I've big never deal. Been part of it. That's a big deal. I, I Going to conferences and getting excited and all that, that's great. That's really fun. But if business isn't coming out of it, then to me, that's kind of been a bit of a waste of time. So that's been a big focus is we're there to get deals done. So come and note creators, note buyers, where both sides are there. Uh, so yeah. the money can exchange hands. So let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've done enough of uh, the talk. Let's bring yeah. in our special guests. Uh, we are good. I believe I have the names. Whoop, I got the names backwards. I will fix that as we talk along. Uh, but I'll and let you guys introduce yourself. Share. We'll start with uh, Ken over there. Share a little about who you are. How'd you get into real estate? And just, what are you doing now? That's a that's a long uh, that's a long winded <laughs> question you have there too. So I'll, I'll try to abbreviate that. Um, uh, my name is Ken Rossix. I am um, partner in Sub Two Empire. So SubTwoEmpire.com is our main business right now. Is Jeff's the founder of that? He'll speak about that in a second. But um, so as you can tell from the title, we're we're about subject two is one of our favorite acquisition strategies. But we're really about creative financing, uh, creative finance strategies um, on the acquisition side, as well as the disposition side, which is where you guys come in. Mm -hmm. So we thought this would be a nice, yeah, a nice partnership to uh, to talk about what we're doing on both sides of that. So, yeah, um, but a little bit about me. So I've been investing in real estate for, I guess, what we're going into 2024. So 23 years now, 2001 is really when I had kind of got into real estate just by happenstance. 
And I just kind of started acquiring properties. I worked a full-time job during that time. Um, I was in charge, when I retired, I was in charge of human resources for school districts here. We're in the St. Louis metro area. Gotcha. And so uh, I've been retired now for five years and real estate let me do that. I retired at the age of 45. Full, full pension, full benefits, all of that. And real estate was the reason I could do that. Nice. So I've just kind of ramped up the real estate investing. I'm, I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur. I have various other interests, uh, health and wellness interests too, but but the main focus is real estate. Uh, over the years, I've done all kinds of things with real estate, just as many other real estate investors have the buy and hold rentals, kind of straight rentals. We're down to two of those. We've kind of sold all, all those off. We're just down to a couple. Um we do uh, fix and flips over the years. That's kind of what got me out of the job at, you know, the the nine to five or at age 45 was was doing flips. And so now we're kind of just focused on helping other people achieve those things, right? That's my goal as part of Seb to Empire. We try to focus on the, the coaching. We do deals. You talked about note originators. We do that. We're private lenders. We're kind of uh, trying to do a little specific niche and all those sorts of things. Um, but that's just a, a little bit about us. And I, I've been doing creative stuff for, geez, I don't know, in, in notes in 15, 20 years now, probably. Uh, I, I actually owned property internationally with seller financing, right? Yeah. Costa Rica, we had, it was, it was all seller financing deal. Uh, we're, we're also buying property in, in Mexico right now, my wife and I, and, and it's, again, creative financing is, is doing that even in Mexico, even in Costa Rica. So I know this stuff works. Like Jeff and I know this stuff works. And so we're just here to, to help everybody achieve their dreams. This is awesome. awesome. Thank you so much, Ken. So Jeff, how did you get started with this whole world of real estate? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. Uh, my name's Jeff Kaufman, by the way, in case you can't can't read, uh, in case you're uh, challenged in the, uh, in the uh, reading department. Uh, no, I started actually... I started like a lot of people did way, way back. I was in the, I was in the military. I was in the Marine Corps and uh, which by the way, my hair is super, super long right now, <laughs> way longer than I think I've ever had it since I was left the military. Uh, but no, I got, I started reading the old Carlton sheets back in 1996 <laughs> and um, you know, up, up late one night, probably drank a little too much and, and, and ordered the, uh, or the old Carlton sheets package, the no money down package. Uh, but I, I eventually I, I shelved that. I, I just thought, well, this is impossible, but it, it's one of those things that never really left my, uh, my conscience. And, uh, you know, fast forward uh, almost a couple of decades, I'm, I'm uh, working a job that I can't stand. Um, and in 2015, so I've been in this for almost eight years now, uh, in 2015, I purchased my very first well, I decided to jump back into it and I purchased my very my very first property, um, investment property anyway, um, in the latter parts of 2015. And so as the story goes, uh, a lot of folks have heard me tell this story, but uh, but it's the absolute truth. When I was looking to purchase those properties, I had gone through a divorce some years prior to that. I had, I mean, when I'm telling you I had zero dollars in savings, I had no savings. I just had a W-2 <laughs> living paycheck to paycheck. Even though I made good money, I was still living uh, yeah. pretty much paycheck to paycheck. I think like, you know, a lot of W-2 people do. Sure. Um, but I I wanted to buy these properties and I was like, how in the world am I going to, you know, I go to a bank, I get, I get, a, I get a loan, I got to put 20% down. Where is this 20% going to come? So I'm freaking out. You know, uh, I, I go out and I put this property under contract and um, I did have a coach at the time, but I was just in the beginning stages of that, of that mentorship. And uh, he kept talking, kept bringing up this, this idea of subject to now buy it subject to, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know the first thing about it, but I knew I had to move forward. So I, so I ended up uh, kind of make a kind of wrap things up the introduction, wrap this introduction up. I bought my first property subject to I actually closed that property myself because um, I couldn't find a title company that would close a subject to deal. <laughs> so, uh, so I actually closed that deal myself, made a ton yeah. of mistakes. Um, and in that first year, I, I was still working at W2, but in that first year uh, I was, I was making six figures uh, or very close to it. I don't remember exactly what the salary was, but I do remember, I do recall in that very first year, I nearly tripled my salary. So 
from my base salary through to through these through these creative deals, I, I nearly triple my my yearly salary. So, uh, you know, my wife thought I was my wife thought I was going to be in jail. Uh, we went through this whole this whole <laughs> ordeal where you know we thought uh, quite possibly that we might do what we called a business divorce, just kind of separate uh, yeah. assets. She she literally thought I was going to jail. So that's how I got started, and then uh, then of course just like uh, just like Ken mentioned. You know, um, I I grew to love this business, um, and I and I love the creative financing aspect of it. I love being able to look at a deal. Uh, you know, any, anyone can buy a cash deal, but I think that really limits, or it can if you don't if you really don't know what you're doing. It can limit your purchasing power. It can limit mm. you uh, to a very sure. specific box. And um, for me, I just really really love that whole. Uh, that whole idea of getting something in my in my hands across my desk that a lot of people just maybe they couldn't do something with that mm-hmm. and turning that into a very profitable deal and so that's that's what we do at Sub to Empire. Similar yeah. to Nathan's story, right? Nathan got yeah. started by doing similar stuff. Yeah, uh, creating notes, selling selling properties on terms is what we called it at the beginning. Like, it, mm-hmm. didn't call it a note, didn't even call it a mortgage. We were doing, it was land contracts in Ohio and we were selling houses on terms and it made a ton of mistakes, but thankfully, you know, we made out okay. (laughs) But yeah, and then it just kind of goes from there and then you kind of pick your niche and you figure out, okay, well, I like this. And then you just kind of pursue it. So that's, that's what I did. And then I kind of, it found found me is what I like to say. Yeah. 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 So Creative financing is a very hot word, right? Can you give an example of what creative finance really is? I'll Which give one? it to Ken. Give it to Ken. What do you, yeah. How would you define creative financing? Because it seemed like everything in real estate is creative financing, even if it's basic, which isn't true. Yeah, so it's one of the most misunderstood terms, probably, especially for new real estate investors. But I guess from our perspective, creative financing is just figuring figuring out a deal without the need for traditional banks or, or institutional financing uh, funding, right? So it could be a land contract on terms. It could be creating a note. Uh, we, it, in the case of a sub two deal, wrapping, right? You wrap the land contract or you wrap the note, all those sorts of things. So it's basically just figuring out, it's cutting out what we like to say, I like to say it's cutting out the middleman. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's me as a buyer. Let's say I'm a, I'm the acquisition person. It's me and the seller of that property figuring out the deal between us, everything in between. Right. There's no middleman. There's yeah. no loan. There's no none of that stuff. So that's kind of how we view creative financing. Gotcha. Cool. So when you guys talk about sub two, we've learned a lot about sub two. What are some of the myths or wrong things you can do with sub two that you guys have found over the years that people are making mistakes on. Yeah, I, I, I would say I'm just going to repeat one of my absolute favorite sayings. And that is uh, uh, in regards to subject two. you know, you may sit down with a seller and you may come to an agreement that the seller will, will sell you that property subject to the existing financing. Um, But just because, they will do it doesn't always mean that you should do it. Yeah. And so, um, so for us, you know, we realize that a lot of our deals, um, they're overlooked because the numbers just don't, they just don't, they don't look attractive to your, to your standard, uh, your standard cash buyer. Um, but one of the things I think that's misunderstood is everybody, and this is part partially true. People talk about, you know, you, you make money when you buy. Everybody's heard that at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we kind of don't believe that because with our strategies, we do believe it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but with our but with our strategy, our exit strategies, um, when we sell, depending upon how we sell uh, sell that property, or for, you know, in, in your guys' case, you're gonna sell a note we can get super, super creative. We can kind of create our own, what we like to say, our own little economy inside each deal. Yeah. And so, uh, so we look at it on a deal by deal basis. Uh, we don't have, we don't put ourselves in a box and 
we look we 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 like to look at both set both the acquisition side if maybe our terms aren't the greatest on the acquisition side we know if we have you know the right location you know all the all the uh, specifics that all the boxes that you need to check on the disposition side we know that we can make a profit on on most of these deals um but again you know some deals just don't they just don't turn out they just don't turn out that way some deals are just too far gone and and that's when you call your uh your short sale guy you know yeah so yeah can i add something there too yeah please do Ken. best sub two stuff um i guess i just like to say what one of the things that sub two that we'd like to be honest open and honest with the the seller right who's who's probably in some kind of financial distress sure. right i need to get rid of the property lost my job. I have to move. What, what divorce you mentioned all that, whatever it is. Right. And so they're looking to, to us as the buyer, right. The investor, the investor buyer coming in there to do the deal and they need to have trust with us. And so we, we don't want to be transparent. We want to make sure that they understand what subject to means, right. Because their name's still staying on that underlying loan. Right. Right. Sure. Yeah. They'll be responsible for the payments, but that's still a risk to them and they need to understand all that. And as Jeff mentioned, I think subject two is not for every property. I think that's a that's a big thing that we see too. You, you can't try to force a a square a square peg into a round hole, so to speak. Yeah. How do you guys do your best to avoid the do on sale with subject two? That's one we've heard coming up. Lately. It is a. It is. <clears throat> this is one hundred percent how you how you set up the structure in the beginning. This is do on sale has never been a problem for us. Um, I've known three people in my entire life that has ever, uh, that have ever uh, experienced something like that. And it's because it's not because the banks are out scouring public records and, and, you know, and looking <laughs> no. for uh, looking for LLCs, which by the way, uh, you know, Fannie actually has guidelines now, as you guys may well know yeah. that, that you can, they accept people moving properties into LLCs all day long. Um, how we how we normally do it, um, and the way that we the method that we prefer is we prefer to use trust. We use we use trust extensively. Um, so it's a it's a matter of how you set that trust up initially, mm -hmm. and also there's a you know um, one of the other one of the other things that we see is insurance. Insurance uh, a lot of folks just don't know how to set that up correctly. But what it boils down to is, and you guys as note investors know this the most, and that is if I'm making my payment to you, 90, 99% of the time, you're not going to care where those, that fund, those funds come from. Nope. Right. And so as long as that payment's made, and so that's, we, we push that super, super hard. 100%. Don't get yourself, if it's, if it's a deal where you even think remotely that this deal will not pay for itself or it can't mm -hmm. afford to make those payments, then we just don't do it. So you mentioned like the banks are not out necessarily looking for these kind of deals. However, are they keeping an eye out? Because if they've got a loan at 3% and they could be lending it out at 8%, are they kind of a little bit more aware than they were? In Again, times? yes, this is, this is, this is, um, <clears throat> this has more to do with how it's, how it's structured in, in a trust, you know, and, okay. and, you know, they could go out and they could scour the, uh, scour the public records for, for trust recordings and they could, you know, I'm sure they could go out and, and, uh, take, take a bunch of those to court and, um, you know, and probably win. Uh, but it's kind of, um, how do I want to say this? <laughs> it's a little, it's, it's kind of protecting, it's building a, a structure that's going to protect you from that in the future, just by how you set it up on the front end, on the acquisition side. Um, and so the, the, with the extensive use of trust, uh, it becomes, it becomes, you, 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 it doesn't put those red flags up like, uh, like a lot of these other, uh, uh strategies yeah. uh, might. Yeah. So, so it's you, all you, about doing it right in the beginning. That's what so it's all about. One of the things we've found, uh, in the beginning of the year, I'm curious how you guys teach, um, your students, who does your servicing for your notes? Do you self-service? Do you use a licensed servicer using software or are you using something else? 
So generally speaking, um, in order, and Ken, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of, <laughs> no, no, but go generally right. speaking, um, we, we, we really like to use on the disposition side, we really like to use land contracts. Okay. And so, um, generally speaking, if, if our seller is really concerned about that payment being made, we will hire a note servicing company. Um, we just went through one by five. Uh, so we went through, yeah, um, I've used Evergreen before, we've used uh, mm -hmm. Madison Management before. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. it just depends. It depends on how comfortable our seller is with uh, with making sure that that payment's made. Um, but for the most part, we we either, it's kind of optional. It's not it's not a standard. Um, and that's what we teach is if the deal, if, if the deal can, uh, support you self-servicing it. If you're not so busy that you can self-service, then then go ahead and do that. Otherwise, uh, let's hire a, a service. One of the cool things we've learned is mm -hmm. that, and another thing I would add into your contracts for those who follow you is putting that servicing fee as a borrower expense, mm -hmm. right? Because that makes us as note buyers a whole lot easier to buy for a little bit higher. If that payment is $300 a month and I have to pay $20 down a month, that's a little bit out of my paycheck, which means my bid has to be a little higher or a little lower to deal with that $20 for 180 months. Right. So yeah, I would ideally put that in the buyer side of it. Um, Nathan's more comfortable with land contracts than I am. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's a preference, right? But I understand why you guys do it in a land contract versus a note mortgage, because technically then the deed's changing hands again, which makes it a little bit more convoluted. Um, but it's good to see you guys are open to that servicing mentality. Okay. Yeah, and, and actually, we're we're going through this right now. In fact, uh, Ken and I both went to court yesterday, uh, yeah. and it's on it's on an eviction on a land contract. And yeah. mm -hmm. the fact is, you know, we have it, it's much easier to get someone out of a property on a, off of a land contract yeah. than it is to and cheaper yes. than it is to foreclose. So, yes. uh, where was the property at? It's in Illinois. Illinois, Illinois yeah. just like yes, your your the uh, the Chicago. Yeah, we're talking green. Your lot, Chicago right? story was near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, just one, yesterday. the yeah. one thing I'd be careful of are debt licenses, right? Um, in yeah. technically in Illinois, debt license is a requirement. Um, you can look up all the penalties, all that stuff, but there are certain states that require ownership. If you have a debt and you're collecting on a debt, you're supposed to be having a debt license in your name. Um I won't get into what happens if not or whatever, but just for people listening. And that's a certain thing. I don't buy in Illinois because I don't want to get the license. Plus dealing Cook County is too long of a time frame for anything, right? But there's states like Georgia where it's a 90 day foreclosure, but if you require the debt license unless you're buying your personal name, well then go get the debt license. It makes sense, mm -hmm. right? That yeah. kind of stuff makes a lot of sense for a lot of us to talk about. Um, when we talk with you guys regarding you know these wrap notes, how do you lay it out to that original borrower that may want to look for a house a year, two years from now? How do you structure that conversation? Ken, how do you deal with the borrower who's like, hey, you're paying my payment for me, but I want to go buy a house three years from now. Yeah. And their debt's wrapped up. So uh, so that has a lot of layers to it, that particular conversation. So, so usually... All right, the seller is distressed in some way. And so the likelihood that they're going to be in a position to actually go and get a traditional institutional mortgage and qualify again in 12 to 24 to 36 months is probably pretty low. Uh, so I, I think it's some education, again, being transparent with the seller, some education on what the actual situation is. You know, we're we're going to take this note, we're going to take this property subject to but we're going to pay your $30,000 in arrears to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's going to affect your ability to go out there in 24 to 36 months and, and do anything. So I think that's the first piece of it, right? The seller education. And then the, the second piece of it is we, uh, you know, they're <clears throat> within 12, after 12 months, after some seasoning, right? They can then discount some up to 50% or if not all of that um, that loan if they can prove someone else is making the payments for them. And so we provide that. We provide that information too. And we actually just did this in the, that same property we're talking about in Illinois. We provided a note because they wanted to go out and, and buy a, a different property. 
that we were responsible for the payments. The payments had been made by us for X amount of time. And then they were able to get approved under that lender. Now, that doesn't work for everybody, but we certainly do that. Uh, so you know that we've taken the obligation for those payments and it shouldn't count against them or not fully gotcha. count against them when they're trying to qualify again. Um, that And we also try to, uh, you know, we could, so we take over a, a subject to note and it might be, let's say it's five years in. So it's got 25 years left on the term. Mm-hmm. Like the likelihood that we're going to make 25 more years of payments on that is pretty <laughs> slim. Right. Like we're going to get refinanced by our third party buyer that we bring in. Right. We're going to get refinanced out in three or four or five years. Right. Whatever term we put into the land contracts. Right. We we like to do that. And in a certain amount of time, they're going to balloon us out, refi us out. And then we're going to get, you know, the final payment, that third piece of the payment on a sub two deal on the backside. So I, I think it's just education and letting them know, like, here's our plan. Like there's no guarantee yet. You're correct. We might make payments for another 25 years, but the likelihood of that's probably pretty slim. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially with the rates are where that, right? We mm-hmm. expect them to go down a little bit um, in this world. So when we're doing this kind of stuff, you know, one of the things that seems to be a misconception is the idea that Dodd-Frank come into play, right? And people seem to not understand what Dodd-Frank did in the whole world. How do you guys make sure that the people who are following you follow that guideline of making sure that if it is an owner occupant, that they're following the RMLS rules and, um, you know, those kind of things? What do you guys do, Jeff, to make sure that that happens? Well, it's uh, again, this is it's a lot of uh, a lot of ifs here. But um, but number one, that's another reason why we we love land contracts, because these are these are non-qualified loans. And and you guys, you guys as note guys have probably read this before. Uh, but if you, if you read through Dodd-Frank, which admittedly it's 2000 <laughs> pages long, like, uh, but I will say uh, on the land contract side, uh, you know, it, it is an offer to extend credit, but they're non-qualified loans. And if you look at Dodd-Frank, they are so, so vague on, um, I forget the exact wording, but it's something along the lines of, um, uh, you the 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 ability to repay uh, has to be a reasonable ability to repay something. I'm I'm paraphrasing here, uh, so that's yet another reason why we love land contracts so much because because yeah. Dodd Frank doesn't it still comes into play, but it's not it's nowhere near as stringent. However, if we are going to uh, if we're going to wrap on a note or if we're going to sell a note, um, that's fully underwritten by an RMLO and. Um, and you know, and that's how that's how we're going to comply with Dodd Frank. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good. That's a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. And who are you guys currently using for underwriting? If you when you need to do it, do you use like call the underwriter? Using you know, who are you guys have you used in the past? Do you have anyone in particular you guys use to do your underwriting and your your originations? No, it's really kind of a. Uh, <laughs> it's really kind of putting a Facebook post out there. Hey, who's, who's the, uh, who, who are you guys using for uh, as an RMLO uh, at this point? Uh, but I don't have anyone really uh, particularly in my pocket. Maybe Ken does. I I don't, I don't have anyone in my pocket. No, right we don't have any set one. It's just on an as needed basis, kind of depending yeah. on, you know, where the property is and who's the uh, recommended people in the area. Absolutely. So we're, we have a list of, of people who are nationwide. We talk yeah. to them regularly. So if you ever run into the problem, guys, reach out to us. We can give you, um, understand that there's people who can do underwriting, which is just the math part of it. They can do it nationwide. It's the origination that's more state specific and licensing. Um, and we're in our private weekly group, we're actually we going with RMLO, talk about who can or can't originate. We're finding out some states don't even allow attorneys to originate documents. So it's... Mm-hmm interesting wow. to hear about right because we think attorneys do almost anything they want at least they do too right sorry aaron okay. whoever's listening but yes, that's the idea do. is that we got to make sure that the origination is correct because just putting a document together we've talked to people who literally put a document together at like a diner and sign off and do it and it's like you can get yourself in trouble and we don't want that we want to buy those notes and that's mm-hmm. the second half of this conversation me and nathan are going to be going through some of the scenarios that make these notes valuable so hopefully those are following you stay tuned in here for a few minutes because we're going to talk about what we use 
to make your note more valuable? What do we care about? What are the things we're looking at? What do we don't yeah. care about? Things like that. Yep, absolutely. So Kim, with the sub two world, have you had any borrowers or people who are going to borrow from you have any kind of common questions or issues or concerns that seem to be repetitive that the either the original borrower goes, I don't want to understand this, or the, the past borrower has a problem that there's an underlying borrower, anything commonly that comes up? Well, really what we, we've kind of already addressed, the from the seller perspective, especially if it's a sub two deal, is can I go, you're going to be making my payments, can I go out 12 months from now and get another loan? Like what's the likelihood of all that? So I think that's a common one. Uh, another common one too yeah, is is what, as I mentioned before, is I'm staying, you know, that seller is staying on the loan, the underlying loan, right? Mm -hmm. The the deed is changing into the trust. As Jeff mentioned, we use a trust structure, right? And so then the beneficiaries of the trust then become us, right? Or our LLC. And so we just want to make sure that they understand what's happening there from a title perspective, right? Because they just need to understand that. And then they need to understand that they are, in a worst case scenario, still obligated to that loan. If we can't make the, there, there's never a time when we've not made our payments, right? If we say we're going to take over a loan, we take that very seriously, right? That's our responsibility to do that because they're trusting us with that. And so we just need to make sure that they they understand, though, that, that if everything goes sideways, right? Sometimes shit goes sideways. Like we can just be honest about that, right? Things go yeah, sideways. Yeah, of course. And, mm -hmm. and they just need to, we want to just make sure that they understand what that in a very worst case scenario looks like. And I think sometimes they don't think about that worst case scenario, not to scare them, but just to say, okay, if A, B, and C happens, we're going to do X, Y, and Z to try to help help mitigate that. Like for instance, what if the due on sale clause gets, yep. it, you know, I guess what are we going to do? Well, yeah we have a plan for that. Like yeah. we could just refinance, we pay it off. We we have enough relationships with people like you yep. and other clients. Like if we had to close in seven yep. days and cash something out just because we had to, we could. Yep. Right. And so we try to teach that like, what's the worst case scenario, but here's what's likely to happen based on our, yeah. our don't be afraid of the yeah. worst case scenario because there are options. Be aware, right. but not afraid. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And here's what and, we're going to do. Yep. And a hundred percent disclosure at all times. I mean, yep. I mean, I, I can only, I can speak to that because I, you know, I, I have had some, uh, I had one instance in the past, uh, where I thought I'd be a wise acre and, uh, you know, I had, I had a property I bought subject to, and, um, I found, I had a buyer for it immediately right away. I was going to, going to wholesale this deal to him, which I would never recommend you wholesale a subject to deal these days. Never, yeah. ever do it. Ooh. It's super, super dangerous. Yeah. Um, but I thought I would, you know, the, uh, Somehow I, the dates, the dates are kind of a little bit mixed up because this was a long time ago, but you know, I had a buyer and I was just expecting that buyer to come in and pay off all that, that whole underlying loan. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, cool. I just won't, I just won't even bother setting this up with the mortgage, with the, uh, with the uh, lender. I, I won't make the payment. I'll just let the buyer pay it off. And, uh, and my buyer backed out literally at the closing table. So oh. I was late on my very first, the very first payment on that property was late and it, mm -hmm. Not that it was not that it damaged uh, this the seller's credit or anything like yeah. that, uh, but that seller gave me hell. I've in fact probably up until about a year ago was the last time I heard from that seller. I mean, she was pissed. I and, would be uh, too. And yeah, yeah. she had every right. She had every right to be pissed. And so, uh, so that is that is just one of many lessons learned in this crazy business, you know, and and. Uh, you know, I, we I've learn never, mistakes. We, yeah. We've made mistakes with people. It's yeah. just about making it right as best we can. Yeah. It's a relationship, communication business. Yep. Yeah. So one of the things we, we were taught before about is this idea of creating a sellable, valuable note. One thing we, we stress upon this 2023 season is we don't understand why people are creating 5% notes. Yeah. You have a house, house that the borrower cannot go get a loan. That's why they're buying it from you, most likely. And you're creating a note that's less than the bank. The reason they're not going to the bank is because they can't for whatever reason, typically. Why are we seeing people create notes at 5 or 6%? I saw the other day someone posted they had 5.5 .5 and they just closed it. 
I don't get that. Maybe I'm just don't understand. Would you guys ever create a note today that, and the typical the reason is, well, the borrower can't afford a higher interest rate. And my thought is then if that's the case, the borrower is not for you. Yeah. Not have you guys, can have you ever created a note at 5% in today's world? So, so my, I, and Jeff will have a little bit different opinion about this probably. Um, so one of, one of the rules that, that we do, or one of the things to do, we try to structure the end payment Yep. Right, the, the end payment so that it's at the same, the kind of the same level as rent would be, right? Okay. That so makes then, sense. The, then the question is, is what does that mean in the terms? And so yep. a lot of times we back into what that interest rate might be, which okay. is which is a reason why it might come out to be five and a half, six percent. But to answer your question from my perspective now, given that the interest rates are eight percent, eight and a half percent now. My, my answer would be no, I would not go lower than a than a bank rate, but sometimes we structure the deal on a land contract based on what that payment can be, mm -hmm. right? What what can the payment be? And it just happens to come out to be 6% or 6.5% or 7% or whatever. Um, I'll leave Jeff to do one of, it, one of his rules about pigs and hogs, right? We're Later. not that far off, man. We're not, <laughs> but, that's, but, but yes, you are correct. Generally awesome. speaking, we would recommend that we don't go lower than the bank rate. Yeah. Uh for for sure. Yeah. And that right, if if the people can't can't make that payment, then we just need to find a different buyer. Yeah, and we'll talk about why first note buyers that hurts our deal in a minute for those who are watching. We're gonna talk about why that if you ever want to sell a note, why that hurts. Go ahead, Jeff. What's your opinion on today yeah, creating five percent notes? I think it's uh, I think it's fairly widely accepted that the, the credit challenged are gonna get they're gonna get a higher rate. So I, I have no problem at all. Um, you know, being in the, I mean, definitely within the usury, usury laws uh, within that. Um, but I also do have this thing and I totally agree with Ken, like where we like to be with, with our rates and depending upon the term, we like to, I like to come in what, what makes owning a home attractive to a lot of people um, looking for a home are, are, you know, I'm paying, let's say, let's say the rent is $1,500. I'm paying $1,500 in rent. Well, a lot of times, especially prior to this, these recent rate hikes, a lot of people will get into look for a home just because it's cheaper to own a home. So yes. my, and, and, you know, you've got this, as long as you're staying in that, that large pool of buyers and you can, what I like to do is I like to come in just below where those rents are. Yeah, and makes and sense. if I, if I can nail that, I don't really care what the interest rate is, as long as it's, you know, as long as it's not something that's super, super because uh, you guys are making the spread on the fact that you owe X dollars and you're paying that X dollar a month right. and you're collecting X dollar over here. So if you have a 3% note, you can give a 5% note, you're making a 2% spread. So it doesn't really uh, affect you Just, Just to be fair, we, I've never, ever written a, I've never written terms at 5% ever. Like, <laughs> yes, we've not. But so, but I, but I am negotiable depending upon what the, location will support what you know the geography of the deal sure. you got to be mindful of that you got to be mindful if you're going to go out and sell a property and expect to have a good borrower they have to you know they're not stupid they're going to go out and look they're going to go out and look and see you know what rents are available and if it's more affordable for them to rent why wouldn't they just rent i mean and, and yeah some people mm -hmm. are, are a, a little less short-sighted than that but you know generally speaking that's that's why people buy homes yeah, it's the, the equity building part of it. Yeah. yeah, they're definitely just they're just looking at the monthly payment, and that yeah. I totally agree. That's what I was doing way back when is we look at market rent and then structure something very close to that, whether just over, just under, right at, but something very close to market rent. Um, going forward, though, like Dave says, we're we're after yield. Get your pencils so, out. Yeah, right, here we so go. The higher, <laughs> you know, the higher you can put that interest rate. And still making an affordable payment, that's what we're looking for. Absolutely. Okay, so I would rather you sit possible. there and say, listen, let's make this a 10 yeah. and change the term. Yeah. Right. right? So I we have in the flancher calculator for you guys, we have five numbers that matter. The bloom we throw out the window because we don't need it, right? We have the term, we have the payment per month, we have the interest rate and your original balance. If we can sit there and say we have a fixated number on the the payment per month. 
We got that. And for those who are listening who not notice, we're talking P&I, principal interest. PITI is a different animal because we don't care about tax insurance. P&I is what gets affected by the interest rate. We don't so get to you, collect the tax and in, insurance. So that's, that's not, that's not return. part of the equation. Yeah. Right. So we have a situation where we are collecting, we have a, you have a monthly payment. You have a, a original balance, which you're selling the property after your down payment rates. So you have your original start down. And then you have other numbers you can play with. So interest rates, the last one we're trying to figure out. So what I would be doing is backing in and saying, okay, what term should I get it take equal 10% return? Mm -hmm. right or 9.9 whatever it is solve for the n in our financial calculators and you'll get a better situation the reason is is that just like in a savings account your bank account gives you five percent of six percent right if i go get my five and i want to buy a note i don't want to make a five percent return i want to get higher and right now if we're raising capital our capital is not going to be at four we need it to be double digit returns because capital today is really expensive. Eight, nine, 10, 11%. So we need to beat that number to make our money, right? And most people who may have their own capital say, well, I don't want to go into a note getting a 6%, even if it's my own capital, because I might as well just go buy a CD at five and a half. Yeah. So the idea is that if you can change it and make the interest rate a higher number, if we're trying to buy it at a 12 interest rate, a 12 yield, right, flat, and we'll get into partials, is that we need, we have a yield chart that kind of shows you what the expected discount is on anything. If it's written at an eight or five or four, what is the discount expected if we're looking for a 12 or if we're looking for a 13? And you'll see that if you're writing at a five and you want to say you want a 12, you're looking at the fact that I'm going to make a probably 40% of balance thing. We never buy a percent of UPB, but we're just using for a sample, the fact that because the interest rate's so low, we have to bid our number way down and give mm -hmm. you such a discount to get it back up to a total of 12 because mm -hmm. that payment per month and our purchase price result in. So we need to get that payment higher or the term lower. We need our money back faster. So that's why interest rate is such a huge deal the entry and term drive all our numbers. That's, the that's lower the, the term one, or yeah, the higher the interest one rate. Factor. One and two, right? Yeah. You can have a 9% interest rate, but the problem is if I'm looking for a 10, I'm going to have to give you a discount. So I'm going to, on the side note, I'm going to bring up my chart and I'll give you some actual um, examples. If you wrote a loan at, say, at 8% and we're looking for a 12 360 months, we're looking at 71% on a hundred thousand. We buy a hundred thousand dollar note for $71,000. If you were an 8% note, hundred thousand dollars for 360 months, $71,000, we would make an offer, generally speaking. But if you made that thing at 10, we're up to 85% because of that, that number. So in the class we'll, I'll be, we'll be working on late December is that's one of the biggest features. Mm -hmm. Get the industry higher, and then just the, the term, because you can play with that number to get a term that works out. And within reason, sense? of course, if you're going yes. out 40, 50 years on the term. Eh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Dodd Frank might be uh, a yeah. little, <laughs> might might actually come into play on something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's the number one factor is what's your interest rate. So that's why we're we're big promote propo, proponents of like boost it up as much as you can within reason that. Payment has to be affordable. Otherwise, none of it works. But that's that's a big deal. Make sure yeah. that interest rate is nice and high. I'm just running some numbers in the background to give you an example. If we had a you know, $1,500 a month payment, right? And you sold for $100,000 and we need, and if the loan's a 10% interest rate, that's 97 months, right? So it's easy to do. If that thing is now 300,000 and you need a 1,500 a month payment, it doesn't work, right? I, we get that unless you go longer term, whatever, it just doesn't work. So we get all that, but we want to make sure that it makes sense. Because if you ever need to sell it, you're going to expect a huge discount if that doesn't happen, mm -hmm. right? Um, down payment to us, 10% is good. We don't really kind of picky on sure. that. Um, the one thing we talk about in the class is seasoning, which is 
Will we table fund? I mean, buy at the table? We will, but we're going to, our rate, our yield, our return is going to be really high because we have no proven track history. Does that make sense, you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a little more risk on that. So what's your thoughts on this, you know, feeling about stuff? How can we work together? How can we do a bunch of deals? Hey, I, you know, I, I know you guys are, uh, you know, you're in the note world. Um, it's actually how we can work together is, uh, is, uh, is that, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm Ken's way more versed in, in the note buying, uh, aspect that, than I am. Um, but man, if you guys are, if you guys are looking for good notes, we'll have to start, uh, we'll have to start looking at interest rates. I got, yeah. I do have a question for you though. Yeah. 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 So let's say we pick something up subject to, let's say we pick it up and that note was, uh, the terms of that note are, uh, less advantageous. So let's say that it was, I don't know, we bought it, uh, we bought it last year. Let's, this is, this is like a, uh, kind of a, kind of a, I, this is a totally made up scenario, but that note was written last year and it was at, uh, you know, it was at 7%. Okay. Right. However, that property's appreciated. That property's the value of that property's gone up. I, I don't know. Let's say it's been 30%, which is not too far fetched. Sure. The past couple of years. So now we've got that underlying, we've got that underlying um, at 7%. We go out, we find a buyer, we find that buyer at 11%. As mm-hmm. long as that note, that underlying note is we can pay that off. And I, you know, I'm just, these just imaginary numbers. Let's say that we're looking to sell uh, the remainder of that, or, or we create two notes, mm-hmm. right? So we create a, a one for that underlying mortgage that covers that underlying mortgage. And now we have this other, this other one, Yep. um, that, that is going to, um, we're going to sell both of those. We're going to sell both of those notes. You're going to pay the underlying off. Now you've got this other note hanging out there. Um, so that for you would be, correct me if I'm wrong, that would be a scenario that would be advantageous to you because now we've got a note that's sitting at 10% that, and, and it's not going to matter. It's, it's basically a wash. You have a, uh, you have the security, you have the property. Yep. Uh, you have the return that you're looking for. And so on 10%, let's say that you, you buy that at 85 and uh, everybody gets paid. Everybody yes. gets paid and, and the underlying gets paid off. Everybody's happy. Right. So then, and then you're talking about having, so when you sold it on wrap, you did it as a first and a second. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it doesn't really matter, but, but yeah. And personally I would buy the first, however, I've got people that would buy the second. Um, yep. I was just talking well, to you guys can keep the second. You can keep it. Keep... We keep it as our cash flow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's yep. now you're out of the deal completely. All your cash is out and you're clean and you're collecting a second and typically a second is a little bit higher. Right. Um, and even if you're, I, I, even if it's two, 300 bucks a month, I guess my question is money. what is, what is, what would be your, um, uh, desired spread, uh, there? Well, I guess you'd be paying that first off. I mean, yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that, that would make sense. Changing your hats. We're wearing yeah, 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 hats yeah, yeah. here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we've spent an hour talking about the whole subject two stuff. And now we're moving on to the ideas. How can we create, help you guys create that note? You know, we've, you have, you already found the borrower, you found the seller, you made all the connections. Now, how can you make that something you can get out of if you need to, or to cash flow and make some money, right? Because you bought it at a much different discount. And yeah, you can create 80, 20, 85, 15, but, and we're going to buy 85% to make our yield. And that's what comes into play here is that calculation. Um, so Hans asked a question. Uh, what are note buyers uh, paying for CFDs that are not underwritten by RMLO, but are seasoned and have yields of seven and nine percent? So, what I understand your question being yield, meaning the interest rate you wrote the CFD at seven to eight nine percent. Um, again, you can use a calculator and say, okay, if we say we want on a CFD, which is a little more risky, right? Because it's mm-hmm. it's not a mortgage and note what if we set it at say a 14 you can quickly figure out estimatedly wise that's a word what is the estimated purchase price that a note buyer would buy that so set the 
calculator at 14 and say what discount is. Now, Nathan may buy it at 13 and a half. I may be at 14 and someone else may say 17. And that's how you can kind of figure out estimated wise what we would expect to buy that note at. So, so the factors there are, uh, what's the current interest rate? That's, that's going to be the number one factor. Number two is it's a CFD. It's considered a little bit more risky. Number three, you said it didn't use an RMLO. Non-RMLO is not going to sell for as much. Um, it can probably be fixed. I can probably go through and, and qualify that borrow through an RMLO. However, that's going to cost me time and money. Um, and just, you know, manpower having to get it done. So those are the three factors that are going to be considered when talking about what kind of discount you're going to get, but there it is. Yeah. <laughs> so well, so like you say, like a 14 is probably more realistic than a 12 yep. is what yep. we're looking for at that point. So, yeah, th that's one of the features, right? Is RMLO, CFD versus a mortgage versus a note. Those kind of things are coming to play. And for you guys doing wrap notes with an underlying, I call a third-party borrower. I don't know what the word phrase is. You're really sub two to another loan. We don't, as note buyers, want to buy that wrap note unless we pay off the underlying lien because of the messiness and the trust and all that stuff. I, I haven't ran to any note buyers who are okay with doing that the other way, but we want to pay it off. And I know the math doesn't make sense. Why are you paying off a 3% note? It's just the legality side of things. We've had Jeff Watson on talk about it. It just doesn't work for us. Yep. If and when it defaults, that would get really ugly and just yep. not something we'd want to yes. deal yep. with. No, yeah. Keep it clean. Yeah, yes. keep it clean. Totally understand that. Yeah. yeah. And the idea sure is for do... you to be the bank and not right. have to pay another bank. Exactly. That's, that's it's not idea. even paying yeah. the bank. Is that we if you had a deal where you're actual that you had a hard money loan from Nathan, right? And you're the borrower and you wrap that note and there's no I call it third party borrower that I have no problem buying that note now because I know who the borrower the original note is. It's when that third party person gets pushed aside is when it gets murky, right? You have to mm -hmm. do a trust and all the stuff to get around it. I, we don't prefer that method. We'd rather you sit there and say, Hey, I'm the borrower on this deal. I owe, you know, 8% note to my hard money loan. I created a note 11. I'd like to make sure that I can, you know, I have no problem buying that wrap note because I know you're the underlying borrower and that, that they won't call the note and we have no trust issues, trust being the, the, the entity issues, yep. those kind of things. That makes sense to you guys. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Right. And to, to answer, uh, could I just say to answer, I yeah. think Nathan mentioned is like, you know, mm -hmm. how can we help each other, our, our communities and what we do and what you do and how to put that all together. Yeah. So one of the things Jeff and I like to do is we like to offer like turnkey methods and turnkey strategies for our people. So you, right, mm -hmm. are a turnkey disposition strategy, mm -hmm. right, to a, a large extent. So I, I think from a offering our community and your communities and what can what can we do, I'd like to, to talk, and we could talk more about this, but uh, talk yeah. more about what are you looking for? You already mentioned, like, you're going to be doing yeah, uh, webinar, information yeah. on what, what does that note need to look like? Or even backing it up, like you're one of the few people that I've I've seen that are, would are even entertain a contract for deed, mm -hmm. right? A, a land contract, actually mm -hmm. buying that. So what do those need to look like? How can we turnkey that to our community and offer structuring that so that then it's valuable to you on the disposition side, whether you win win buy it potentially, right? Yeah. Yep. That's huge, Fantastic. right? Nathan yeah. comes along, you guys have 10 CFDs, you need to buy it at, and you, and I would encourage you guys to create these notes at a higher interest rate to avoid the huge discount, right? If you create a CFD at nine, he comes in and looks at 14, 15, the discount just gets disgusting. So we encourage you guys to do that. You guys are doing such awesome work, yeah. getting a hold of a seller, finding the property, and then creating this borrower at the back end of it, make sure the structure is legal and everything's great. We're just trying to fine tune the, the one little part of it that helps you guys dispose of it. So we even get into the fact you can sell partial. So if you had a situation, you can sell instead of the whole note, you can sell 60 months of payments, right? We're not going to get into high publications, but in the partial world, you could sell a year payments, six months of payments, 10 years of payments. If you have a low first balance, you could do that and pay off. The, you say, Dave, 
I owe 38 grand on a $200,000 house at 3%. Could you give me 38 grand for a certain amount of payments? And I say, great. As long as you pay off the first, I'm cool with it. Yeah, no problem. And I get 16 months of payments at 14, slam dunk home run. I'm ecstatic. I'm getting my return. You guys are great. You guys are. And after 60 months, you're going to get the cash flow for the next 30 years or whatever long it is. So and we want to make sure that will be more in Dave's department. Yes. I'll, I'll look at the CFDs. Yep. Dave's going to look at the partials. Yeah. We got Yeah. This. Well, right. there's a, there's a second benefit there. I mean that, uh, you know, you're looking at CFDs, Dave's looking at, at yeah, uh, notes and partials, yeah. then, uh, then there's yet another opportunity uh, for us to maybe maybe take the dive into into more fully underwritten. Uh, I I won't say fully underwritten. That's the wrong wrong term. But uh, the more qualified, airtight on the qualified side versus yes. non qualified loans. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Airtight notes and contracts for deeds. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Very good. So guys. so we have our our. Before we go into the after hour party with you guys and we disconnect from the live crew, we drinks are on Ken. Yeah. <laughs> we need your brainiacs, your knowledge, yeah. your experience. Go ahead, Nathan. Yeah. So I mean, you guys have been you've been around now for a long or a little while now. Um, you've seen some stuff. I get the feeling that sub two and and all the creative finance is growing. Um and it's becoming more mainstream for lack of a better term. Uh, but we're seeing more of it that more than we did a couple of years ago, for sure. Definitely. What are you seeing coming up on the horizon? Are you, are you looking at more of it coming up your way? Are you seeing a crash coming that's going to contribute to your business or our business? Or what do you see coming down the pipe? Well, well I mean, I go first. Okay, good, Jeff. Good, go first. Okay, yeah, sorry, six sorry. months a year. No, good, Jeff. Six months a year from now, maybe two years. What are you seeing? Well, I, I'm I'm a kind of an outlier because I I started doing this, uh, you know, a long time ago when uh, when it wasn't popular, mm -hmm. and so one of the things I I continually tell people is that. You know, because you got all the gurus now. All the gurus are saying, you know, now you know you hear them. They're slamming it. Um, you brought somebody up earlier that just recently yeah. jumped into this stuff. And, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm going, okay, I've been doing this this entire time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can't, you're not going to tell me that there isn't a best time to under, at least understand the stuff and get into it. Because yes. as I like to say, any time is a good time to understand creative finance, particularly subject to, well, if so. you know when to go out and if you know, if you're looking at a mortgage that that you're thinking about taking subject to, and you you see the trends, you know that uh, you know you'll get to this point where you see a, maybe a, a loan was originated in 2015, you automatically know that's something you're gonna you're you're gonna go after mm -hmm. because yeah. you know that that interest rate is gonna be stupid low. So I mean, I guess the answer to that question is I don't. There is no. You know, as long as for me, as long as the spread is there, as long as I know I can I can do something on it uh, and make make a spread, I I don't see this, I don't see this coming to an end, not in my business. And I would recommend that anybody out there uh, looking for on the creative side, never exclude, uh, never exclude creative financing from their strategies, because it has been a total total game changer for me. Well said. Ken, yeah. what do you see? What do you see the housing market and the whole world of real estate? Are we looking at like a 20% crash coming up or are we looking for prices to stay flat? Well, that's a, uh, that's a good crystal ball type of question, isn't it? But for, first I'd like to uh, agree with Jeff. Like we've been doing creative financing and, and subject to just being one piece of a creative financing strategy for years now right but we weren't we didn't just jump on the bandwagon so mm -hmm. like and i think jeff's 100 correct it's just going to continue so knowing how to do that and putting the tool in your toolbox right which is our yep. whole theme today is definitely the, the thing to do um i i do watch trends and things especially here in our our market the st louis area um in missouri and illinois specifically and 
I mean, who the hell knows? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I can't quite figure out because just when I, I think I have one thing figured out, then something else changes. I do yeah. know this, though. Common sense says that the pressures in the market, the, the housing market, the high interest rates, all that, it can't continue without a correction. Agreed. Right. So, you know, I, I think like we need to really start preparing ourselves for what that means and how is that going to yeah. impact our business? Not that we have to rewrite and go back to the drawing board with what our business is or our particular real estate niche, but how can we adapt Yes. Right. And, and, and be flexible moving forward. And uh, what do we need to do? Right. So if, if we continue this high interest rate environment, obviously the seller financing stuff that, that we're talking about here today, primarily is going to continue. Right. Sure. And the, the opportunities there are going to continue to abound. <clears throat> um, we also have this mindset issue, I think though, with, with the, uh, whatever we call them, the, the generation coming up, right? Those, those people that are at college age, I, I say that, right? I just turned 50. But those people <laughs> that, are, that are college age that are coming up, right? Just kind of have this mindset, well, I'll stay at home until whatever's <laughs> right. I'll live in the basement or like, like, I don't know where that mindset came from, but mm -hmm. we have to be able to adapt because there's a large number of people that are, that are, are going to be talking about, you know, are, am I getting married? Am I going to have kids? Am I going to move out? Am I going to rent? Am I going to buy? All those sorts of things. We need to be prepared to to adjust and be able to help those people, right? We're right. here to help people. We solve problems. Jeff and I solve problems. Yeah, like we're pretty good at solving problems, right? Hence the whole creative finance. Yeah. Strategy. So so yeah. we just need to figure out what are those problems to solve for people and how can that potentially benefit them and benefit us. Awesome. awesome. Inside the comment box, there is a Bitly link. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Ken or Jeff, use the Bitly link and you'll get all the information emailed. Um, and it will go from there. Guys, it's been a pleasure to hang out for after hours, but I want to thank you guys for tuning in with us and spending the afternoon or the midday with us and sharing your experience, your knowledge, your years of just brain power to share with you guys the time, energy is is greatly appreciated and the fact that you guys are willing to be open and honest and and not close-minded and not sharing details is very appreciated we're really thankful for you joining us today yeah yeah it's been good thank you feeling is very very <laughs> mutual we appreciate you guys yeah. thanks so much for having us yes absolutely yes. well you guys uh hang out for after hours everyone is listening we will see you soon our next webinar is uh december 15th we're going to be having Dave Polio. If you don't know who he is, um, you'd want to. You should, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> here we talk about the market, uh, the status of the market of the note space. So enjoy your weekend, everyone.